We're in Genesis chapter 27. We're ending that with the last verse today and going into chapter 28 through verse 9. <clears throat> Entitled the message this morning, No Compromise. I want to begin with this illustration. It says, in the first season of the popular TV show, 24, Jack Bauer, played by Kiefer Sutherland, is a federal agent charged with protecting a presidential candidate from an assassination plot. He was given that responsibility because of the uncertain world of espionage he po possesses um, that character trait of integrity. So in, in that, you know, he has this character trait of integrity. In this show's um, first episode, Jack's integrity is already put to the test because he turned in other federal agents for bribery. And some of his own comrades have turned against him. In particular, Jack's immediate boss has come down hard on him and tried to persuade Jack not to be so honest in his job. Jack has an explosive confrontation with his boss and will not budge on this point. Just after the confrontation, Jack bristles with intensity as he explains his actions to his closest partner. <clears throat> and these are the, a quote from that. You can, look at the other, you can look the other way once, and it's no big deal, except it makes it easier for you to compromise the next time. And pretty soon, that's all you're doing, compromising, because that's how you think things are done. You know those guys I blew the whistle on? You think they were the bad guys? They weren't the bad guys. They were just like you and me, except they compromised once. That's all it takes, right? It's compromising once, and the next thing you know, it's easier to do the next time. And You know, when Judy and I were dating <coughs> in college at Huntington, and uh, we knew at one point that we were going we were going to get married. We started talking about you know the future and what does that look like, and so we discussed a lot of things. And one of the things that we that we discussed was about children, like how many children, what kind of education we wanted them to have. We both agreed that we wanted her to stay home uh, with our children for a certain period of time until they were grown, and and this was something that we did not want to compromise on. We wanted her to be at home. That was important to us. And so when Judy was expecting our first child, we started putting all of her income into the savings, and we lived off my income to prepare for that transition. And God was so good. And there were a couple of times where she did go back to doing some teaching or working while our kids were younger, but most of the time uh, she was able to stay at home and be with them. <clears throat> now, when I taught at the Children's Ministries Institute, uh, for Child Evangelism Fellowship at the headquarters. I had the great privilege of teaching about uh, several courses, but one in particular was about raising personal ministry finances. And each of the students had to create a personal budget or a family budget uh, if they were a, a husband and wife that were there. There were certain things that we encouraged them uh, to consider in their personal budgets. One of the exercises with that process was to list everything out and then begin to prioritize each budget item. So we said, don't don't hesitate. Don't eliminate things right now. Just write everything down that you think you're going to need for a budget. And then we had them determine what items were non-negotiable. So they had to figure that out. What are non-negotiables? Maybe it was Christian schooling for their children. If that's a non-negotiable, then that has to go in the budget. Maybe it's a newer vehicle, especially for the single uh, women. Uh, we had a lot of those that were directors uh, local directors in Child Evangelism Fellowship, they needed that newer vehicle so that it wouldn't break down so that they could rely on it. Maybe it was um, actual steak. They're like, we have to have steak every night or tube steaks. 
a fancy name for hot dogs. So they had to make that kind of determination. What's a non-negotiable for us? And based on what was non-negotiable, they had to make adjustments to the other budget items that were negotiable. And so there were certain things that each individual or couple had to determine were items that they would not compromise on. And so every one of us has probably been in similar situations where we've had to determine what we're willing to compromise on and what we're unwilling to compromise on. We've had to make decisions, right, about what that looks like. We've all had to make decisions about what is negotiable and what's non-negotiable when it comes to our finances, our children, and many other items. And so as we come to this passage of Scripture today, as we saw in Genesis chapter 24, Abraham made it clear to his servant, uh, his, uh, yeah, his chief servant, that he was not willing to compromise on a wife for Isaac. She had to come from his own people in Haran. And we'll see today that Isaac and Rebekah are feeling the same way about Jacob and his future wife. They had, to, uh, they had experienced grief through Esau's choice of two Hittite wives, as we saw in Genesis 26, verses 34 to 35. Esau had compromised his standards, but Isaac and Rebekah did not want that to happen to, with Jacob. And so the author of Genesis wants us to understand today this important big idea that compromise kills faith. Compromise can kill our faith. We see that throughout Scripture all over the place. You know, God talks to the Israelites. He says, when you go into the promised land, it's like, don't, don't let those people hang around. You've got you to gotta eliminate them completely out of the land. Because if you don't, it's going to come back to bite you. Because they're worshiping idols. They're not worshiping me. And guess what? Don't give your daughters to them in marriage. Don't take their daughters for your sons in marriage. Because guess what's going to happen? It's going to compromise their faith. It's going to kill their faith. They're not going to follow me. They're going to turn away from me. And here's where it all begins. This is where it's all beginning. And so as we think about that big idea today, and we let that just begin to sink in, would you bow your heads with me as we just commit the message to the Lord in prayer? Lord, we come to you today. And Lord, we, may, we might have to confess already this morning that we have compromised in our own faith, Lord God. And it's hurt. It's hurt relationships with other people, it's hurt relationship, our relationship with you. Lord, we've allowed compromise to take place in our families, and, and we confess that before you today. And Lord, I just pray that as you move by your Holy Spirit now, you would work in our hearts and minds. You would help us to know that we can't compromise, especially when it pertains to our faith. And so we just commit it to you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to see a couple of things this morning as we're looking at this passage of Scripture. In verse 46, chapter 27, we're going to see the concern uh, there. And then verses uh, 1 to 5 in chapter 28, we're going to look at the command that's given. And, uh, and then finally, this morning, um, in verses uh, 6 to 9, we're going to look at compromise. <clears throat> So let's look at verse 46 in chapter 27. This is what God's word says. Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. If Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land, from Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. Does that sound a little bit dramatic? <laughs> I don't think it is, right? She's serious about this. But it, it could sound dramatic to us, like, I just can't keep on living if Jacob marries a Hittite woman. This just isn't going to work for me. Like, it's just, the life will be over. 
it'll just be done. We already know how Isaac and Rebekah felt about Esau marrying two Hittite women. I want to read those verses for you that I referenced earlier from Genesis chapter 26, verses 34 to 35. It says this, When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of uh, Beeri, the Hittite, and also Basmath, daughter of Alon, the Hittite. They were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Now, potentially, the grief that Isaac and Rebekah felt over the two Hittite wives was based on uh, women's religious beliefs and practices. The Hittite women's beliefs, uh, religious beliefs and practices. The word discussed here, uh, as Golden Gay uh, points out, uh, the word for dismay or disgust is rare. And on one significant occurrence, it describes Yahweh's attitude to Canaanite religious practices in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 23. This suggests that Rebekah feels a religious rev revulsion, which the story's listeners are encouraged to share. So what, what she's feeling here the way, is like their religious practices just don't go along with worshiping God. And they're actually just re they're revulsive to me. I just can't stand it. I can't have them doing that, you know, because they all kind of live together, right? It was a communal uh, part of living uh, as they were going from place to place. So in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 23, we read these words. You must not live according to the customs of the nations I am going to, to drive out before you because they did all these things, or because they did all these things, I abhor them. So what's he talking about here? What's the writer of Leviticus, Moses, talking about? These things included sacrificing their children to Molech, turning to mediums and spiritists, cursing of their parents, committing adultery, sleeping with family members and or in-laws, men sleeping with men and women sleeping with women, which is homosexuality, marrying both a mother and a daughter at the same time, and sexual relations with an animal. These are the things that the people of the land were doing. The, the God says, that's just, no, don't. I'm driving these people out. Don't, because I abhor them, because they've done these things. And so that's one of the reasons why Rebecca's like, we can't let this happen. We can't let Jacob, allow Jacob to marry within the Hittite tribe. And so these are uh, considered detestable to the Lord. The NIV Life Application Bible footnote for Leviticus chapter 20, verses 10 to 21 says this, the detestable acts listed here were very common in the pagan nations of Canaan. Their religions were rampant with sex goddesses, temple prostitution, and other gross sins. The Canaanites' immoral religious practices reflected a decadent culture that tended to corrupt whoever came in contact with it. Do you hear that? This is why they're like, this isn't going to work. Compromise kills faith, right? That's our big idea, and this is what Rebecca is recognizing. She's like, we can't allow this, because Jacob is the chosen one from God. He is the covenant carrier, to carry on this covenant of Abraham that God gave to him. And it's like, so we can't, we have to allow it to remain pure. We can't allow it to be compromised. And so it's probable that Rebecca is disgusted by the immoral religious practices of Esau's two Hittite wives. And so she says life is not going to be worth living. She's convinced that life would not be worth living if Jacob married a Hittite woman. And this is why she's uh, petitioning Isaac and expressing her concern to him. She knows uh, that he shares her feelings about Esau's two wives. And this is her way of, quote-unquote, helping Isaac to do what she wants in order to spare Jacob's life. So Isaac called for Jacob. Let's look at verses 1 to 5 in chapter 28. This is the command that we see here. So Jacob called for, or so Isaac called for Jacob, 
and, and blessed him and commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Padan Aram and to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban, your, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now live as an alien, the land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way, and he went to Padan Aram and to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. So we see this command then as Isaac calls Jacob to come. Now we're told that Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him and then gave him a command. The command is explained first and then the blessing second. Imagine what may have been going through Jacob's mind as he's summoned to his father's tent. What did he just do? We talked about it last week. He deceived him, right, to get the blessing. So can you imagine what he's thinking? Was his father going to scold him for being deceptive? Was his father going to remove the blessing from him? We talked about the fact that that couldn't happen last week, but we, maybe Jacob didn't know that. And so he's going there maybe with fear and trepidation as he's been summoned to his father's tent, but then we see this uh, command, and it's twofold. He says, don't marry, but marry. So he says, don't marry. Isaac explains to Jacob that he's not to marry a Canaanite woman. Canaanites uh, was a broad term for the various nations that lived in the promised land at this time including the Hittite nation. But then he says to him, go to Padan Aram, which is northwest Mesopotamia, which is where uh, Abraham had come from. And when you get there, go to your grandfather's house, Bethuel, and you'll find your uncle Laban and his family there, and you're to take one of his daughters as your wife. So one of his cousins. And then it says that Isaac immediately transitions from the command to the blessing, as we saw in verses 3 and 4. We see that Isaac does not even mention the deception of Jacob. Warren Wearsby says this, Not only did Isaac speak kindly to his son, but also gave him an extra blessing as he left to go on his journey to Haran. So it's like Isaac must have just gotten over it real quick, right? He deceived me. But Isaac understood, I believe, Isaac understood that he was trying to be deceptive to go against God's plan. And when God's plan ultimately was worked out, Isaac's like, I know it was right. And he's, that's why he's able to get over it so quickly. Because he's like, God's plan is for Jacob to be the covenant carrier. And so we see this twofold blessing. He talks first about his descendants. Isaac asks that El Shaddai, that's uh, what it is here, would make Jacob fruitful so that he would have a large number of descendants. <clears throat> and and uh, uh, Matthew's commentary says the, the rhyming combination of be fruitful and increase. Now, we don't see that in the English language, but in, in the Hebrew, it's there. Um, the rhyming of uh, parah and ravah reflects uh, the creation's blessing and the divine intention uh, for the Abraham family, finding its partial achievement in the populous community of Israel. So, you know, we, we kind of miss that from the original languages, and that's why I like to study that, because it kind of draws that out. It's kind of cool that there's some rhyming going on there, talking about the blessing of creation. So Isaac's blessing was that Jacob's descendants would become a community of peoples. 
Waltke explains that this is a, a fresh expression of the promise given to Abraham in Genesis 17, 6. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. And God would, would fulfill his promise to Abraham through Jacob. So Isaac's blessing then turns to the promise given to Abraham about the promised land. So Isaac not only blesses his descendants, but then he says, gives him the blessing of the land. Isaac was asking El Shaddai to give Jacob his and, and his descendants the blessing given to Abraham. The blessing is that they would take possession of the land that they were currently living in. And Isaac recognized again that they were living in the promised land as aliens. But eventually they would live there as God's chosen people. So then Isaac sends Jacob on his way. And what we see is that Jacob obeys in verse 5. He obeys his father and goes to Padan Aram. He goes directly to Laban, his uncle, and brother of Rebekah, his mother. And what, this is incredible. He's an adult, right? He, he got to make his own decisions, didn't, couldn't he? He could have decided not to go. This is going to be a long journey. It wasn't going to be just a one-day walk. It's going to be uh, several months. And he obeys his father. And so the principle that I want us to take from this today is this, this one. God is pleased when we obey. God is sovereign and he knows what's best for us. He, he knew that it was best for Jacob to return to Padan Aram to avoid being killed by Esau and to avoid marrying a Hittite woman who could potentially corrupt him into detestable religious worship and practices. God knew. And God was pleased that Jacob obeyed his father so that the covenant carrier line would remain pure. But God is also pleased when we obey. And when we obey on multiple levels, when we obey our parents, Jacob, like I said, was an adult when his father commanded him not to marry a Canaanite woman and to go to Padan Aram to find a wife. Jacob obeyed his father even as an adult. But here I want us to look at the Ten Commandments. We see it both in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, and Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16. And I'm going to read both of those for you. And then Paul restates it again in the New Testament in Ephesians. I'm going to read those three for you. Exodus 20, 12. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. So that's the first time, the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments then, Moses repeats them in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16. He says, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long uh, and, and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And then Paul writes about it in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2. He says, honor your father and mother. And he's quoting there. But he goes on and he says, which is the first commandment with a promise. And then he quotes again, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So honoring your, our father and mother is a lifelong commandment from the Lord. That one never goes away. We, we don't always have to obey our parents. We always have to honor them. And so when we are still living at home as children under the care and guidance of our parents, we are to obey them as long as what they're asking us to do does not break God's word or the laws of the land. So we should be obedient. As children, obedience to our parents is important. And we see this then in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Paul stating, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Notice that our obedience is in the Lord. We obey our parents because it pleases the Lord. That's important. That changes it for us, right? And a little bit further, a little bit later on here in Ephesians chapter 6, he's talking to um, slaves. And he says to them, you know, do what's right, whether or not your master is watching you. See, it's not a bit, and, and, you know, whatever you do, 
do it all for the glory of God, right? And again, how we work should be towards God and not towards our boss or anyone else. And so it's here in the Lord. So our obedience as children to our parents is in the Lord. And I think for me that just changes everything. And so two next steps for us today. For all of us, the first one is this, to honor my father and mother. And I just want you to be thinking about how can you do that today, this week, this month, maybe this year. How can you honor your parents today? And then the second one is this, for those children that are still living at home, obey my parents in the Lord so that God will be pleased. And again, children, how can you do that today? Begin today, this week, this month. It's important. The second part of this, though, and uh, this principle that God is pleased when we obey is when we obey Him. God's pleased when we obey Him. Isaac's obedience benefited him in two ways. It saved his physical and spiritual life. Jacob flees from two threats in his flight to Padan Aram, persecution and accommodation. The physical threat from his brother may have seemed most obviously harmful, but the threat of accommodating the Canaanite lifestyle was just as great a danger or grave danger. Accommodation is as great a threat as persecution to the community of faith. That's Walt Key speaking. Too often we as followers of Christ are in the world and of the world instead of being in the world but not of the world. John chapter 17 verses 14 to 16 tell us this, I have given them your word and the, wor- and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Do you need God's protection today to be in the world but not of the world? I do. I need his protection because the evil one's coming after me all the time. He knows my weaknesses. So what does it look like not to be of this world? Paul says it in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What does it look like? Paul says it again to the Ephesian believers in chapter 4, verses 22 to 24. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And finally, Paul, talking to the Thessalonian believers in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1, says this, Finally, brothers... We instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. And Paul goes on to tell them to be sanctified. And then he talks about how to do that, how to pursue that sanctification. You know, sometimes we're fine with dating someone who's not a follower of Jesus Christ because, because we believe we can save them, right? We get emotionally attached to them, and then to break off that relationship seems like there's no way I can do that. Uh-uh, I'm, I love this person, right? But they don't love God. How can you love that person if they don't love God? You're a follower of Christ, but we're like fine with that. We're like, I'm going to save them. And it's happened, but it's rare. Most of the time, we become corrupted. We turn away from the Lord. We don't follow him anymore. 
we allow ourselves to indulge in the same things that the world does and think that it will not affect us. <coughs> Foul language, becoming drunk, using marijuana, being intimate before marriage, looking at pornography, lying, gossiping, cheating, stealing, and the list goes on and on and on, right? That's how I fell into to cussing in high school. My best friend and I just started using one word, right? And we started laughing about it. It was funny. Next thing you know, I can't talk without using some foul language. Now, I didn't do it around my parents. They didn't know. But when I was by myself or with my best friend, you know, we're just, man, we would just let them fly all the time. And, and then God just began to work in my heart and mind as I was getting ready to graduate high school and going off to college. And I'm like, this is not who I want to be. This is not who I want people at college to think I am. And so I'd ask the Lord to just forgive me and to give me strength to begin, stop, to begin the process of stopping that cussing. It was just filler words. I didn't need to use those. Indulging in the things of the world shows that we are still conforming to the pattern of this world. We are not transformed. Our minds have not been transformed. Our attitudes have not been transformed. And so maybe this third step is for you today, and that's to ask the Lord to protect me from the evil one and to help me to be transformed so I can please him. That's obeying God being obedient to him and god is pleased when we obey both our parents and him so jacob pleased the lord by obeying his father's command isaac and rebecca knew the danger of allowing jacob to marry a canaanite woman so they went so they sent him to padan aram esau heard about <clears throat> isaac calling for jacob and blessing him and so we see here what uh, he's thinking about in verses six to nine in chapter 28 now esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and had sent him to Padan Aram to take a wife from there. And then when he uh, blessed him, he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Padan Aram. Esau then realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father Isaac. So he went to Ishmael and married, um, I can't, Mah- Mahaloth, the sister of this lady, uh, <laughs> and the daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham. I'll tell you how to pronounce her name in just a minute. I have it written in my notes. I have it written in a way I can read it. Anyhow, in addition to the wives he already had. <clears throat> and so Esau was informed about the meeting between Isaac and Jacob. He was told about the blessing for Jacob's descendants to be numerous and that God would give Jacob the promised land. He was also told about the command not to marry a Canaanite woman, but to get a wife from his uncle Laban's family. He also heard that Jacob had been obedient to his father and mother and had gone to Padan Aram. And then we see Esau's realization. We're not told why Esau didn't realize it sooner, but he realized it now, right? It's like, I had no idea my parents didn't like my wives. (laughs) And so his parents were not pleased with the two Canaanite women that he had married. So we see Esau's solution. He went to Ishmael's family and married his daughter, Machalath. There you go. I don't know. Maybe. We're not told why her sister um, is mentioned there, uh, Nevioth. But she is. There must be some significance, but I couldn't find, I couldn't find it in, in any of the studies that I did. Esau obviously thought that marrying a woman within the line of Abraham would help to appease his parents. Esau is once again proving why he is unfit to be the covenant carrier. His decision to marry um, (coughs) Machaloth is based on pleasing his parents instead of pleasing God. 
he was, uh, it wasn't spiritual or religious interests here. He wasn't interested in those things. Kyle and Dillich say this, Ishmael had been separated from the house of Abraham and family of promise by the appointment of God. He was not the chosen covenant carrier. The firstborn children here in, in the Old Testament don't get a lot, of, uh, a lot of help, right? Ishmael was Abraham's firstborn son, but it's Isaac, his secondborn son, by two different women, mind you, that becomes the covenant carrier. And again here, Esau is the firstborn, but he's unfit to be the covenant carrier. And so it's Jacob that steps into that role. Esau has no idea of spiritual realities. All that he's concerned about is to please his parents and, if possible, to win back the blessing. This again shows the real character of the man and the utter absence of any spiritual reality actuating his life. Esau is one of those who, as has been truly and accurately said, tries to do what God's people do in the vain hope that somehow or other it will, uh, it will be pleasing to God. That's um, Gangle and Bramer uh, citing Griffith Thomas. See, how many, how is it? I mean, it's true, right? You see people today... And they try to do good, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the good things that Christians do in hopes that they are pleasing to God, right? That he'll accept them into eternity someday. But that's not what gets us into eternity. That's not what saves us from our sins, right? Just doing what religious people do or doing what Christians do doesn't get us into heaven. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that gets us that, that opportunity to spend eternity with God in heaven someday. And so here, you know, Esau is like, if I just do what Jacob is doing, marrying someone from the Abraham line, then maybe, maybe I'm going to be pleasing to God. Maybe I'll be pleasing to my parents. But again, he's not thinking about the religious, spiritual side of this. He's just thinking about, I want to just please my parents. I just want to be accepted. <clears throat> and so Esau continued to compromise instead of pursuing the things of God. And compromise kills faith. I mean, we see then... Uh, both Ishmael's line and Esau's line, uh, the Edomites, they're at, they're at constant war with the Israelites all throughout this time. They're not, they're not turning to God as their God. They're, they're still separated and outside the family of God. So how does this apply to us today? The same is true for us when we compromise. The second principle is this today. God's desire is for us to pursue spiritual things. He does not want us to compromise our faith in order to please human beings. His desire is that we seek dating relationships with those who are followers of Jesus Christ. His desire is that we pursue a transformed and renewed mind and attitudes instead of the things of this world. His desire is that we stop indulging in the things of this world and seek purity and righteousness through his son. And so maybe this final next step is for you today, and that's to pursue spiritual things instead of the things of this world. We're to be set apart. We're to pursue sanctification and holiness. And so sometimes that means we have to sacrifice some of the things of this world. Just as we review a little bit this morning, a couple of questions for you. How can you honor your father and mother today? We talked about that. Do you need to return to obeying your parents in the Lord? Maybe you've been straying children. Maybe you've been like, ah, I'm going to... I'm going to buck against the system here. I'm going to just cause all kinds of problems for mom and dad. Maybe it's time to return to obeying them in the Lord, doing it with the right attitude and the right reason.
Do you need to, uh, God's protection and help to be transformed so that you can please Him? And then finally, what worldly things do you need to sacrifice in order to pursue spiritual things? As a body of believers, we need to lift each other up in prayer and hold each other accountable to a transformed life that's pleasing to God. You know, so many times we, <clears throat> we quote the one scripture that we're not supposed to judge or we're going to be judged. But there's a lot of other scriptures that say that we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, need to hold each other accountable. And in fact, we're not the one who's judging. When we try to hold them accountable, it's God's word and God who is saying you should be doing this or not doing this. And he's using us to remind our brothers and sisters what they should be doing and shouldn't be doing. Second, we need to spur one another on to love and good deeds, to spiritual things. The writer of Hebrews tells us that in chapter 10, verse 24. I want to close with this illustration from Joseph Stoll. He tells of a conversation he had with a pastor in the former Soviet Union. Stalin's reign was the worst time, said the pastor. I had two KJB, KJB agents come to me and say, we'll take care of you. You stay uh, the pastor of that church, but once a week, give us a report on every one of these Christians. Work for us. <clears throat> I can't do that to God, and I can't do that to his flock, he replied. So they sent him to a prison camp in Siberia. He endured the forced labor and the cold for 10 years, but he did, uh, but he, but he did find another Christian in the camp, and God used these believers to fulfill his purposes. This is a quote again. I was a carpenter building towns for Stalin, said the pastor. We'd go out, into, uh, go out in 60-mile radiuses, and there we would fellowship together. Today, there are hundreds of churches in Siberia as a result of these small prison fellowship groups. <laughs> when men refuse to compromise, they may lose much, but through them, God will fulfill his higher eternal purpose. Isn't that true? When we refuse to compromise, God's going to do something great in and through us. It may not feel that way when we're in the middle of it, right? Because we're like, well, I had to sacrifice a lot in order to not compromise. But man, God's in control. And everything here on earth is temporary. And we should be pursuing the eternal. And so I hope that you're encouraged today by this, by this passage of Scripture to not compromise because compromise can kill your faith. But we want to remain strong in the Lord, don't we? We want to continue to move forward. We want our children uh, to be able to follow the Lord someday through our example. And so as you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your hearts and minds today, would you just bow your heads with me as the worship team comes to close us in a song? Lord, we just come to you today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how we saw Jacob being obedient not only to his father and mother, but to you. <clears throat> and Lord, uh, we thank you that he didn't compromise, but in his obedience, he continued to move forward with your plan and purpose. Lord, I pray that you would help us not to compromise, not to give in to the things of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And Lord, we just commit ourselves to you today. And we just ask this in your precious son's name. Amen. Would you stand with us?